That's one small step for brands. One giant leap for brand kind. You're listening to Food Chain, presented by Perfy. A big thank you to this episode's sponsor, Triple Whale. Triple Whale's powerful analytics platform clarifies your ad performance across channels, keeping you instantly in the know. Hit the link in the show notes and use promo code Perfy for 15% off today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Food Chains. Today, we have an extra special edition. This is our first episode with two guests, and it's our first episode with a series of three founders that are family. We have Stacy Lee, the CEO of Sweetie Ice Cream, and Tiffany Yang, the CMO. Welcome to the show, folks. Thank you for having us. Excited Absolutely. Yeah, same here. I'm pumped to talk about ice cream. Who isn't ever? It's fun thing to fun fun topic to chat about. But before we get into that, I want to jump into Stacy, your background first, and then Tiffany yours. Yeah. So I found my way into the CPG world in kind of a crazy roundabout way. I studied business in undergrad, and I actually have a master's in food studies. Um, so I've kind of been food obsessed for a while, but. Before jumping into this business, I was an attorney working specifically with food and beverage companies on like trademark and brand protection work. And I'm Tiffany, and my background is as varied as it gets. If you go way back, I was supposed to be a doctor, like the good little immigrant kid that every parent wants, right? Like, especially in Asian families, they want a doctor, a lawyer. Stacy successfully accomplished that with a family. <laughs> Unfortunately, I failed miserably. Went into business instead. I started my career in finance and eventually found my way into business strategy work. So I used to talk to kids about toys. I used to work at Mattel and I got really good at building Barbie dream houses and whatnot. Worked at Vans, worked on some sneakers, talked to skate kids about their world. So did lots of different things. And, you know, when this opportunity came up to run a business with my family, I really, I jumped at it. Amazing. I'm a big Vans guy. I love Vans. I probably got like 10 pairs at a time, different colors for different outfits. Um, really, really cool. Yep. Yeah, that was a, that was a pretty cool job. I learned lots about working in a, a passion-based business. I used to, one of my favorite shoes in middle school was the Cab 3. I think mm. it was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the make and model of that shoe, but I, I had two or three pairs where like they wore out and then I got another one just because I loved them so much. But Stacy, how does being a, an attorney help with starting a CPG brand. I imagine there's tons of upside to that because we've had finance backgrounds on here that are just 100% great at their books and pivot tables and finances and all of those fun things. But I wonder what that's like with, with legal. How has that helped? I mean, I feel like it's been really helpful for just like assessing risk and some of the big decision making. It came in handy like a lot earlier than we expected. We actually got hit with a cease and desist letter, like right when we launched our brand. It was like IP related. And luckily, I came from an IP background and I saw the letter and I was, this is bullshit. Like, this is total like intimidation bullshit. And I hired my old partner that I worked with and we sent a response and we never heard anything back. And we kind of went along our merry way. Yep. 
I figured there'd be something like that al along the way. What about with like restraint? I imagine knowing the legalities and of trademarks and all of that, there's got to be times where you see something, you're like, oh, that might be a competitor. They're doing something wrong, but you've got to show restraint and really not say anything because sometimes going the legal route takes more capital than you want. And sometimes you just got to keep it cool. Has that ever happened? Yeah, totally. I feel like there have been a lot of situations that have come up where like there was a legal option or like a legal answer to something and also like a practical business answer to something. And I think I've gotten a lot better about it over time. Like I feel like I redlined the hell out of our early contracts and then eventually got to a point where I was like, do we like these guys that we're working with? Do we trust them? Like this contract's good enough. Like I'm like, we can sign off on it. Let's jump into the history of the brand. You guys have been around for over 50 years now, and you started in a brick and mortar store. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So we come from like just major foodie families. I feel like it's really true for a lot of immigrant families that like our food is a way that we like hold on to our culture as we like move to a different country so my mom and my grandmother opened an ice cream parlor in the monterey park neighborhood in like the late 70s it was a time when there were just a lot more chinese immigrants moving into that area and they wanted to bring to the community like a taste of these Asian desserts that they had access to back in Taiwan. So they were making like shave ice with like red bean and they were looking for Asian flavored ice creams to serve like taro, red bean, durian, and they just couldn't find it anywhere. They started making ice cream on their own and over time, they started selling ice cream and popsicles to like Asian grocery stores. I like we grew up, I don't know, giving ice cream from like <laughs> machines and and sticking popsicle sticks into popsicles and driving forklifts when we were like 12 years old. <laughs> but we all like went off on our own paths into, I don't know, quote unquote, real jobs that like would make our parents proud. And so it was like four or five years ago that our parents wanted to retire. They like just didn't see any future in like this popsicle business. And we, in the meantime, were kind of seeing like mochi ice cream, like really, really take off. And it was some mochi ice cream was something that like we like really loved as kids, but we didn't see anyone making a mochi that we felt like reflected our perspective and taste and not really knowing how difficult it is to be in like the frozen section, um, a grocery store. We're just like, yeah, like let's make ice cream. This sounds like fun. Like we should do this. So it's definitely like a passion project. And yeah, now we've been on shelves for three years and we are distributed nationwide and we're in over 2000 stores and crazy. Epic. At what point, like what time was it, time frame was it when you guys said, hey, we want to make ice cream? When Was that like in, in the 90s or along this 50 plus year journey? How recent was that? That was like, if like what, like 2018? we started talking about it yeah and then 2019 was like brand building it was our brand building year and then we hit market march 2020 
Very cool. What's it like, and this is more of a, a question for you, Tiffany, what's it like building an online community with a frozen product and you have to win in store? How do you find yourself tracking things that you do online and them converting in store? Yeah, it's definitely challenging because I feel like we are unlike a lot of startup brands where it's not easy for us to have a D2C business. So we don't because with cold chain, the margins are just not there. Like kudos to the people who get it done. And that's why very early on our focus was, hey, we need to win at retail. That's the only way that we have a business. And so the way that we tie our community into our retailer is we have a pretty robust influencer program. We are good about doing demos, sampling, like how, and then driving that traffic to our retailer's stores. That's one thing to get your stuff in the store. It's another thing to stay on those shelves. Velocity is so critical. And so everything we do in marketing is to drive traction to our retailer's doors and make sure that product gets purchased. So driving trial is incredibly important for us. Very cool. We had another ice cream brand on that went live last week, and I shared this with Alec, that founder. But I worked at a frozen food company after I left Quest. And one of the things that I did to support trial in the frozen section, it was a Kroger rollout, like four or five banners. And we were in a pretty bad spot in the frozen cooler. If you're like by the handle or the top right and tucked in where there's a crease, it's not the best place to be. But one thing that helped, and maybe you guys can use this, is we use manufacturer's coupons. And rather than, let's call it a cheese cracker, shipping that to an influ influencer is quite easy. From a freight standpoint, it doesn't cost that much to send. But with manufacturer's coupons, you could run an influencer program where instead of shipping them ice cream or a frozen good that costs a ton of money per ship, you could put it in an envelope with a post-it note that says, hey, we hope you enjoy. You can find us here at here. That's one thing that, that really worked well for us with that brand. Yeah, absolutely. So we do very little shipping to influencers. We make them go to the store and a lot of times we have them capture that experience, like how to find us. And then that's something that we then put on, put on the social channels. Yeah, super important. Even though like the frozen section or every frozen section at pretty much any store, it says frozen and there's really a really cold aisle. Always super important to let them know exactly where to find it. I like that. Exactly. Want to chat more about flavors? Durian is a, a fun one. I, I remember seeing, <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this. I remember seeing TV shows where there, it was a challenge to actually, like, part of the challenge of the show was, can you do X, Y, or Z thing? And one of the, I forget what it was. It was like Fear Factor or something. One of them was like eating durian. And from what I understand, I've never experienced it. It can have a definite different kind of smell. But one funny thing that I think it's Sanzo just launched a new flavor at Expo West. And they had people guess in the comments what the flavor was going to be. And I saw a bunch of people commenting durian. And it reminded me of that show. And then their community manager responded saying, trust us, you don't want this. You guys had that early on. Would you ever bring that back? We talk about it all the time. And I will say it is a requested. I'll tell you this. Like, you don't want to be in the factory during those production days. Like, I still remember the smell from being in the factory on a during ice cream production day. It is. Some people like it. Some people don't. I I've never even seen one. I just want to just smell it. So if you ever do like a TikTok where you have people who've never smelled durian smell it, like count me in. We should for sure do that. Like, I feel like we get that request every year. I'm like, oh, we should do this for April Fool's. Just someone's got to do it. There's so many people that want it. And who knows, even if they don't like it, like I think everyone kind of knows it's going to, they're going to love it or they're going to hate it or they know what it is or they don't. 
But I feel like either way, you're going to get some earned media from it for launching that type of flavor. I feel like our kind of like niche like really Asian flavor right now is like red bean. It's it's our least popular flavor, but like we refuse to give it up because it's like special to us. Like red bean desserts are just something that we grew up with. And when we were kids, like for the ice cream parlor, like our grandmothers would cook red bean in these giant cookers in our kitchen. And like the smell, the flavor, like all of it is just, it's just really important to us and we're always going to make it. I love it. Let's talk more about right now. There's a tremendous amount of great founders who are representing cultural flavors. I think of your guys' brand. I think of Sandro's. I think of some on the Hispanic side. I think of Tia Lupita, Siete, all of these folks. Pretty cool to see this happening right now. Like everywhere you go, there's a better for you option or just a better option than the traditional players that have always occupied certain parts of the grocery store. What's that like for you guys and how has the experience been? For me, been so amazing, especially meeting all these founders like in person during Expo. I feel like for a long time, there has been a very stereotypical view of what ethnic food should taste like. And the versions of ethnic food that American companies would make invariably would result in watered down flavors or textures that were not authentic. And quite frankly, that was a really big reason why we wanted to launch this business because we weren't seeing representation in the frozen aisle. We were feeling like the products out there were not necessarily reflective of the flavors or textures that we grew up with. And we wanted something. And I think what's interesting to me is that like now there's a celebration of people from these backgrounds, like launching these brands and really expressing themselves through culture and their family and their identity through these amazing products that they're launching. It just, it's so rewarding and honestly just makes my heart burst, literally, like just seeing people like us, minorities, underrepresented communities out there really claiming their spot in the CPG marketplace. Really cool. But you, Stacey? And it's about damn time. And I hate to say it, but like just coming back from Expo, it's like CPG is still like super duper white. It just is. And it's just, it's awesome to see like more representation in all parts of the grocery store. Like if you look at frozen, especially like ice cream and frozen novelties, like there is no one, like there is no representation in this category. Like, at all and I, I don't even think I realized it until like more recently where like I kind of picked my head up and I was like whoa hey we're like the one of like the only Asian ice cream companies like on shelf that's awesome how do you guys feel about I'm gonna start with my feelings first just so I can break the ice and make it okay <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll, I'm gonna take, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it for the Here team I'm going to go down a story real quick. When I was first starting my soda company, it was initially going to be an Aguas Frescas beverage. And if you look at me, you may think, if you judge, that, oh, this is a white guy. And I have friends even that that were like, I don't know, man, you, you might be too white for a Mexican product. And I really wanted to support local street vendors. And the red tape that is involved in getting a certificate to be able to vend on the street. So if you leave Staples Center or whatever it's called now, Crypto Arena, you'll see a lot of folks selling whatever they're selling, all kinds of great foods. But it's so hard for them to get that. And oftentimes they're doing it illegally. And then oftentimes they'll get fined. And that's their only source of income. So I wanted to do something where I created Aguas Frescas that was extremely delicious. You can kind of taste it in the current perfume flavors and the fruity ones. And I was really bummed because like, damn, I'm, 
more than half Mexican, and I don't understand why I'm not authorized to do this. If one person's saying that and I've known them forever, then how the hell is the rest of the people going to think about me? So that led to a little bit of an identity crisis that happens like more and more each day. I often get questioned because I don't speak Spanish. My dad came from Mexico City and he never wanted to teach us. I'm the youngest of eight, and he didn't want us to have to deal with the things that he went through. So that's partially that one. But I find that as I scan across, whether it's Exo West or just CPG in general, there are a lot of folks, let's use tequila as the example. There are a lot of folks that aren't Mexican, celebrities that have created tequilas, exited, made ton of, tons of money, but there was no question about authenticity there. This is all leading up to my question now. How do you feel about people who aren't inherently those that had the cultural relevance as they grew up with products or flavors, creating flavors for their lines when they don't even know anything about it? An example, there might be um, white-owned brands that have an ube-flavored ice cream. But does that bother you guys, or is it like an honor, or what is that like? Man, just come in with the hard-hitting questions. I mean, it's we discuss this, like, a lot, because we have strong feelings about that. I, Stacey, I will let you take this one. I don't know. Like, I think it depends on if it's being done well. So we launched an ube flavor, like, last year, and... For a year, we were the only brand who was doing it. And then this year at Expo, everyone is doing it. And one of them, the product doesn't even have any ube in it. It's just ube flavoring. And like, that bums me out a bit because I do, I manage our R&D. And the hell that I went through to like source ube, like from like the Philippines where it it only harvests once a year and the process that we go through to bring in this like frozen ube on containers and then like cook it into a syrup that we like put into our ice cream. And I think their ube ice cream tastes really good. I think it it bums me out when there are products out there that are like just not a good representation of what it's supposed to be. And it's so clearly like, I don't know, about capitalizing on a moment and like making a quick buck. Like I feel conflicted a lot about mochi ice cream because like on one hand, like I am really happy that like more people now know about mochi ice cream and that it has become something that like is just like pretty mainstream. Like I grew up eating mochi and I've like always loved that like chewy like soft gooey texture and it's not something that's like super common in like I guess American food so I'm excited to see people from all walks of life embracing it and then at the same time I struggle with like when people come up to us and they're like you know I don't like mochi like I don't like mochi ice cream and I'm like well, have you ever tried our product before? Please just take one bite. And if you don't like it, like, I won't be offended. It's not for everyone. You can throw it away. But a lot of times we get people who are like, oh, I don't like mochi ice cream, but this tastes pretty good. And those are the moments where I'm like, oh, like, cause this is what mochi is supposed to taste like. And this is your first time, like, tasting a mochi that is, like, more traditional and soft and chewy and, like, the way that it's supposed to be. I don't know if that actually answers your question, but it's, I feel conflicted about it. It's definitely yeah. what I anticipated. It answered the question 100%, a very good legal answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I expect. Tiffany, did you want to add something else? Am I, I think I'm supposed to give the non-legal answer, but similarly, like I struggle with it 
I struggle with it, right? Do I wish it was a company or like a person, a founder of that particular ethnic origin launching the company that represents the culture and does it in a way that is authentic? Yes. At the same time, if it spreads the word that, hey, this type of food is cool and like, I think we both know what a good job like food does in terms of bridging cultures, like I love that. Stacey and I talked about growing up as like immigrant kids, like I was the one that used to get made fun of for like the weird food in my lunchbox because that was something that either like smelled weird, looked weird, was not a lunchable. But now I feel like this idea of foodie culture and exposure to different kinds of cuisine being more worldly, like that's actually something that's a positive in terms of like our generation raising kids. And so I love that, like to the extent that anybody making food with like different types of flavorings and like ethnic influences helps bridges that and gets rid of the ignorance and intrinsic racism around food like that. I embrace that. And like, I feel like that in itself, like makes us all more understanding of each other. Yeah, I think man, I think there's so much to say about it and I'll be careful with how deep I go on it just for the sake of everything, but I'll just say it. I think there is tremendous amount of culture vulturing in CPG and it's become normalized. And the reason why people, like brands like Fly By Jing, Sanzo, you guys, Omsom, all of these brands are resonating and hitting it so hard right now is because of the authenticity of who created it. I think nobody's going to know better than those who lived this their whole lives in bringing authenticity to the plate. Like when I think of the Mexican brands, I think of Hector from Tilapita. Man, I there's a sauce. I, I'm Mexican. I don't even know about the sauce. Their adobo sauce has like pepitas in it and like all of these like, like raisins or something. I pour that on everything. There's We use Fly By Jing quite often. There are these things that would, if an American dude or white dude that maybe didn't live there for 50 years, just like, oh, I see the ingredients. I'm going to I'm going to replicate that. It just yeah. doesn't hit. Just yesterday, we were filming for an episode, and Aaron from Mercado Famous, he's a Chinese-born, Spanish-growing-up person who's creating awesome meats that are then exported to the U.S. and sold. And I had them for the first time a couple weeks ago, and I never had meat like that. It was like authentic Ibirico Spanish ham. And I don't even like ham. Like, I'm just not a ham guy. And I just think more brands need to do that. I think when big food or big beverage creates something that's supposed to hit a new target market, that they should bring in founders like yourselves to consult them, pay them, invest in their brand a little bit, do something, but make it authentic. Like what, Put their logos on the packaging too, say co-made with Sweetie Ice Cream and X, Y, or Z brands. I just think they should do that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's just the whole thing is like really tricky because it's like at the same time, it's like, where do you draw the line? Right. Like we make a Vietnamese coffee flavored ice cream. We're not Vietnamese. Can we do that? Like we do it because I think that we draw a lot of inspiration from like our experience growing up as Asian Americans, like in California. And like we grew up eating like a ton of meat and yeast food and like we grew up like I guess going to where you kind of started with the conversation of someone telling you like oh yeah you can't really do that I think that it for me I feel like it really comes back to the intention and like where it is coming from like for us like we make mochi ice cream because there is it hits a spot for us in like our child selves that like we really like we love this product and we want it to like live in the world in a way that like we know it should be and have people experience that and I think that sometimes like big food doesn't have that part of it and that's when it doesn't I don't know that's when it doesn't hit yeah 
Tiffany, you mentioned earlier that you were supposed to be a doctor. Sorry. But do you think that your family would be proud that you're honoring your heritage and the family business this way? I think so. I will say, like, in the beginning, there's a little bit of pushback because I think for all of us to leave our corporate jobs, the response was like, what are you guys doing? Like, we didn't work so hard so you can throw it all away and work on this. And I think that is a little bit of that immigrant mentality, right? It's like we work hard so that you can have these nine to five upstanding jobs. And I think for us, like I admire our parents' generation so much of the guts that it took to really go out there with limited resources, lack of language skills, and still make something of themselves. And like, I like to think that we all have that entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit and that is really why we jumped in to do this and I think you know when I talked to my mom and like Stacey and Sean's parents I feel like they're initially surprised at this at the success that we got there because I think like they saw how far they took the business and I like they just weren't sure right they saw that as a really risky endeavor and when we landed Walmart as our first account and like they brought in a film crew to film a commercial during covid and it aired prime time during like between football games and we were on tv and that was like the moment where oh shit like this is real like we are like we built a business this is something it's being recognized by large retailers like we were written up in chinese newspapers I remember my mom brought the Chinese newspaper. She's like, look, like, here's your picture. This is about your business. Like, I feel like that was very much of a full circle moment of, wow, like, you guys did it. Like, this is something that we're all really proud of. So if they ever get mad, just send them a link to that ad on YouTube. Say, don't forget, we were we were on TV. Yeah. I'm like, and I got you in the ad, too. So you guys are also on TV. Yeah. So good. Let's talk more about what I think they might have changed it by now. I think there's been a lot of pushback with grocery stores that call it the ethnic aisle and it's more, I think it's an international aisle now. Could be wrong. What do you guys think about how stale that is? I go in there and I see, I think for 20 or 30 years, I saw the same beans in that aisle that I saw when I shopped yeah. at Vons like with my mom, when my mom would take me to the grocery store until now. Like it seems like it's getting a little bit of an uplift. What's your guys' take on it? I think it's about damn time. It's look at like the, the makeup of our country, like how are like all of us people of color like relegated to one aisle in the grocery store that's crazy i feel like we have a really long way to go yeah. and there are still a lot of companies out there that are like not approaching some of it from like a place of like authenticity but yeah i'm just like i'm excited to see like more of like the imagination of like other cultures and like people of color like on like in the grocery we just haven't been there yeah i think i try to think sometimes of what is driving so many up-and-coming folks of various different backgrounds to say hey like enough is enough you mentioned like one aisle for all of these things but you're now seeing them branch out into other aisles you guys are in frozen it seems like not too long ago that wasn't the case what i think is driving so many people to take that quote-unquote entrepreneurial mindset and leave the nine to fives probably goes back to just shitty working conditions whether going to work was fun i've had a lot of jobs that are nine to five but i just 
I'm not that type of person anymore. Like I don't want to go to a job, clock in, clock out, or be on salary or whatever, and leave at the same time and have the same Groundhog Day every single day. And I think a lot of this, the newer generations are in line with that. Where you can one, if you're into, if money is your motivator, you can make more money on your own as long as you have some some grind in you and some know-how. But when you go to an office job, you're at the mercy of like right now, if you're in tech, you're probably like having a tough time sleeping. There's so many layoffs and businesses that are multi-billion dollars. What do you think that means that so many people that are our age or younger are creating awesome brands and honoring their heritages? I guess like speaking from like our experience, like I feel like some of the fear that like our parents initially brought to like us deciding to go this route came from like a scarcity mindset that they like for very good reason have lived in sadly i think continue to live in despite the security and the success that like tip and my parents have had they still live in this like state of we don't have enough like just scarcity and I think that they worked really hard. And for a long time, I think that I inherited that from my parents of like also feeling like always like being worried about everything and what if something doesn't work out and the risk. And like at this point in my life, I feel like I've transitioned into like more of an abundance mindset of appreciating like what I have and all the opportunities that are out there and like making decisions based on like joy than fear i love that i am taking notes on that because i like that a lot that's yeah that that makes sense for me i think we didn't i'm the youngest of eight at one point i think eight of us were in the same house with a mom and a dad so it's a pretty big load there in one tiny house and as we go older like my oldest brother is 50 turning 50 this year as they got older they'd move out and stuff but i think that it was always a when's the next meal type thing for me like I, i think what drives me is a friend of mine in college had a saying that's always happy never satisfied and I think it's a similar thing, like no matter how good or bad things may go, I'm just not satisfied. It's always, what's that next thing? What's that next, I don't know, what's the next goal line that I need to hit to keep progressing, progressing? I think it's different, but similar to your fear versus joy, scarcity versus abundance mindset. I just don't want to ever get complacent with where I'm at. Yeah, I totally, I'm like, you are like, you're crushing it. Look at all the things that you've done. Like pat yourself on the back. I feel like another thing for us is like that, in Asian culture, particularly Chinese culture, like our parents criticize us a lot and we don't get a lot of like, good job. Like, and so like, I definitely have had to reparent myself and take moments to be like, hey, like, look at what a good job that you did. And like, I hope that you can like do that for yourself. Cause like, you have not only like created so much success for yourself, but like, you're like turning it around right now and spreading the wealth and like you're highlighting brands like us and you're also like reaching all of these like people who are at home right now being like oh I have this great idea like should I do it can I do it yeah so you're crushing it thank you means a lot Tiff were you gonna say something no I'm I think I was just mentioning the point where like for our parents they very much wanted something that was predictable and safe and I think that was why we chose the careers that we did right? You can always count on that paycheck. 
And to Stacey's point of the scarcity thing, yeah, they lived in a time where they weren't really sure when that next paycheck was going to come or like when, where that next meal was going to come from. And I think in a lot of ways, like we've had to very much change that ingrained mentality for ourselves. Like it's okay to do something that you're really not sure whether or not it's going to be successful. And like in a lot of ways, we figure it out as we go along. So it's not safe, nor is it predictable, but like it's exciting for us. And there was something about putting your heart and soul into a product that you're sharing with the world. The feeling that I get when I see somebody try a product and they love it, like I can't even put words to that. Like I'm so proud of that moment and kind of what we've accomplished together as a team. It's that feeling is worth more than anything that I've ever done in a corporate job where like you're just clocking in and clocking out and like, oh, I did a presentation. Oh, I presented to these executives doesn't even come close to the feeling that I get when I see our product on the shelves and like people love it. And like, not only that, but like we get to do it with our family. Super cool. Yeah. I think it's just from like founders to founders, it was just a different feeling when somebody for me cracks open a can and say, you see their eyes expand and they say, this is way more than I thought it was going to be. Like I thought it was going to be a sparkling water. I feel that too. I feel that too. Not from like a, these are my hometown flavors type thing. Because I just recreated flavors that I loved as a kid, like Hawaiian Punch and all of those things. It's just a totally different feeling. I feel you on that. Super cool. I want to go into the, we're going to go into the segment that's just like the fun questions. Not too heavy hitting, um, not too deep. If you had one dream retailer that you haven't landed yet, who is that? That's a good question. I feel like we've gotten some big hits lately that have been like our dream, like ones that we've been really excited about, like Boxtrot and Pop-Up Grocer, like just because like we follow like this world so close and we're like, oh, we get to be in the ranks of these like super cool, like emerging brands. But I would love to see us on the shelves of Sprout. That would feel really good. I think so too. For me, I would love to see us at Whole Foods. Hopefully both. That'll be another what, thousand, thousand doors for you together. If you're, and you can't say yourselves, that's, I've got to preface this. If your brand was a person, who would it be? Ooh. Celebrity, athlete, whatever, whatever you want it to be, but just can't be yourselves. It's one of my favorites. I don't know. I don't, I feel like I don't have a good answer for that. Like when I think about it, I like, not a real person, but I like think about the movie Totoro. Oh um, my God. Were you thinking Spirited Away? No, I was thinking about Totoro, the one with the big giant cat bus and oh. like, the little girl on that. And just, I don't know. The ma- Like, I feel like so much of our brand, we're really trying to tap into that like seven-year-old wonder of like just being a kid and like the magic of like life at that time that'll count that'll count just just yesterday with Aaron from Mercado Famous we were talking about how a brand should be more of like a feeling like it could be a human or a feeling in the past brands were just brands they would talk to customers a certain way it was very corporate and you're seeing that kind of evolve and that was just me buying Tiffany some time right there so you, you give me oh. <laughs> I still have to answer this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have one. Okay. I feel like now I need to pick a real person. It could be a movie character if that person doesn't actually exist. I mean, initially I was thinking like a guy like Simu Lu, but not his movie persona, his like real life persona, because he's like kind of silly. And I, of course, like I felt like I had a default to an Asian celebrity and like there's not too many out there, but he's like the super fun guy. Like he sings, he like plays an instrument and is funny and silly, but like in the movies he plays this like super serious Marvel character. It's not a good one. 
but that's a good one. I think yeah, it's good. Like clearly we need more celebrities, but he's one of the first ones that came to mind. If I had a spokesperson for my brand, like who would it be? Because like he has, you got to pick his girlfriend. I love her. She's great. Right? She's so cute. <laughs> that's good. Great. Uh, Stephanie, uh, right? Stephanie Shoe, Shoe, right? Sorry. I don't know. I don't know his girlfriend. I don't know her I, name, I, but. I think mine, if it was a male, like a Chris Pratt or a Paul Rudd. Yeah, I want to say Chris Farley, but Chris Farley in real life was pretty not happy. He was funny as hell in, in talent-wise, but I don't think he was the happiest guy. I think if it was a girl, anybody on SNL, like just they're just so damn funny. I, I think no matter what, it would be a comedian. I just think humor is the way to get through. It's like the... Like the violinists on the Titanic, like humor is loyal to good or it's it's agnostic to sad or or happy. Humor is humor. It kind of breaks through either way. Yeah, for sure. Guys, I will link to everything on your site. I'll link to your store locator, to your website. I'll put both of you guys' LinkedIn's. I won't forget Sean's either. There's three founders at Sweetie and Sean isn't on the episode, but we'll link him as well. Is there anything else you want to share? Any exciting news, rollouts, anything like that before we go? Yeah, I think Stacy previewed that. She just slid that in there. We just got into Foxtrot and Pop-Up Grocer. Perfect. Perfect. We're in Pop-Up Grocer too. I will link to the store locator. We'll find you there. Congrats on Foxtrot. That's a fun one. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah this was super fun just chatting with you. Thank you for asking all the questions. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes.